this morning, when I, when I got up this morning, I, I heard the thunder, I saw the lightning, and I thought, this is a great day to sleep, right? And so, how many sleep really good on a rainy day? If you don't, there's something wrong with you. It's just the best day to sleep. And so I thought, you know, and probably some of you thought the same thing. Maybe this is a good day to sleep a little longer, but I knew I had my plate was full. And so I get out of bed and I'm thinking, okay, now everything just shifted from this joy I felt to this, now we got to get ready and we might have to park the trailer and McGarvey and his team are going to be hauling this stuff in the rain. And then, you know, that anger starts setting in like, why is it raining today? And I realized really quick how easy it is for my flesh to get in the way of what God wants to do in my spirit. And I, I, I can easily drift that direction. And all of a sudden, I said something in my prayer time. I said, God, I want you to do something in my life today that I'm not expecting. I just really want to enjoy this day. So change my attitude, change my spirit. And man, I felt like just like that, things started changing for me. And it didn't, it helped. I drank a monster too. I haven't had Starbucks yet. But I want you to know, I want you to know this. It is vitally important for you right now to whatever you're going through to have the same mentality. I got to set this aside right now. I need whatever I'm struggling with, whatever I'm frustrated with, I need to set it aside right now because I know that it is difficult to grow and learn spiritually if you have something mental or physical that's pulling you back from that. You know what I'm saying? So that's important for you right now because it's not because I'm speaking. That's not the point at all. Okay, y'all with me? It's not because I'm speaking. It's all because of simply this. It's all because we are going to learn some things that um, I think Peter taught us by one of the most trying times in his life. So is everybody with me? Yes, you guys good? Absolutely. I hope you're awake because I want to speak on the subject of part two, bold steps for a big God. I, last week we were together and I, I was looking at the beginning of the story in Matthew chapter 14 and we looked at the big picture of Galilee and how you know, it's the Sea of Galilee, but it was more like a lake. It's still like a lake because it's basically a lake. It's only about 13 by 7 in square, you know, 13 miles long, seven, 7 miles wide. So it's nothing profound. But that lake, if you would, was where everything changed for Peter. I mean, I believe that Peter took this bold step and it made it where Peter later on, after the resurrection of Jesus, was able to preach on the day of Pentecost and see hundreds of people get saved because he had a confidence that he never had before walking on water. So I want to tell you, symbolically speaking, I believe God is intended for every one of us to experience a walking on water. I think it could be in your job. It could be in your marriage. It could be with your kids. It could be in ministry. But what I mean by that is God has something really amazing for you. And the only one that's going to hold you back from experience that is yourself. So when we were looking last week, we realized in Matthew chapter 14 that bold steps for a big God sometimes take place in hard times and dark times. And when we looked at the, the concept of life not always as easy when you're going to do something big for God. And I feel like it gets harder as you start to make a decision to do something better. You want to live good? You want to live right? <laughs> then expect the target to be put on your back because God is going to help you, but Satan is going to attack you. Have you ever felt like that? 
I feel like every time I make an intentional decision to do something bold for God, dark times and hard times start to settle in. We announced that we were going to plant Thrive Church. Then hard times came because we found out my nephew had cancer. Everything shifted. Everything flipped upside down. That was hard times. It got so dark, like Peter, when he was about to step out of the boat, I couldn't see Jesus for who he was. It's like, this is not the God that I thought I was to serve. You just don't seem like you're there for me. So all of that was what we looked at last week. But part two is really good because there's, a clear, there's clear rules of engagement. I want to make this simple. I'm the most practical person you'll probably ever hear as a preacher because I am a simple person because I'm not the smartest. I just like things simple. I want to walk in, learn from God's word, something so simplistic and expository, which means we go verse by verse and walk away and remember what we talked about. So I, I hope you can take away with some things, take away today. There are some clear rules of engagement in order to take bold steps for God. I'm going to give you each one of those according to scripture. It, it, it's it's important for you to understand each one of these rules. If you do not learn what they are, then you will fail in taking bold steps for God. It's just not going to work. You're going to fail. You're going to sink. And it's going to happen just like it happened to Peter. But metaphorically speaking, it's spiritually going to happen in your own life. So each rule is laid out in Matthew chapter 14. And so I call this rules of engagement because before you engage into these big steps for God, there's some rules that you have to really fully understand. So we're going to look at them. And so the first one is in Matthew chapter 14. Y'all with me? Matthew 14 verse 28. And Peter answered and said unto the Lord and said, Lord, if it, if it be thou, bid me to come to thee on the water. Now, the reason he said on the water is because he could have just taken the boat over. He said, no, I, I want to clarify, Jesus, if it's you, bid me to come onto the water. I'm not just going to take my boat to you. I want to come on the water. I want something really big to happen. So give me thumbs up for a big step. And he said, come, being Jesus. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Let me clarify. This first rule of engagement is very important for you to understand. Every one of these rules are very important to understand that they deal with every aspect of your life. Your job, your marriage, your finances, your dating, your children, everything in your life is affected by these rules of engagement. First rule of engagement, y'all ready? Never step out unless God is calling you out. Never step out unless God is calling you out. The reason that is important is because what we see and uh, Matthew chapter 14, verse 28. I'm going to read it in just a second. But this is very important to understand. God's calling here is simply practiced by three simple things, okay? Understanding it. Always ask. Always listen. Always go. Always ask. Always listen. Always go. You never stop out unless God is calling you out. But sometimes people get it confused when it comes to the calling of God. It's easy. You never... You, you, you always make it a point to ask, to listen, and go. First thing he did is said, Lord, if it be you, bid me to come unto the water. Verse 28. Sometimes we expect God to make a move without asking God to make a move. We just wait. And it doesn't work that way. This is not biblical. It's biblical to always make it a point in your life to ask. You can't expect God to make a move if you're not willing to ask him to make a move. We're commanded to ask. He gives us direction when we ask. 
So Matthew 7, 7 says, Ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Let me ask you, have you ever made it a point to seek after God? Asking God to do something means you're really seeking for God to move. I mean, have you sought God in your life? Or are you just going through the motions? God will acknowledge your request within His will. In other words, God's not going to say yes unless it's His will. One of the best verses to define this is, is, is found in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4. And this is the confidence, I love the word confidence, that we have in Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. i got to be willing to ask God to do something in my life if I want to see God move in my life. I can't just expect it to happen. I need to ask God to happen. So Peter would have never walked on the water unless he asked God if he could come. I, I think if, if you are in a place in your life, whether it's in a relationship, whether it's a job, whether it's even with your children, if you haven't made it a point to stop and ask God to show you what you need to do, then you're missing out on one of the most crucial parts of God's calling. Because he can't reveal to you what you need if you're not willing to ask. Never step out unless God is calling you out. Always ask. Matthew 14, 29, and he said, come. That's listening. So you got to ask, but then you got to listen if you want to know what God wants you to do. Listening is not the easiest thing for me to do. I do not like to listen. I like to talk, but I don't like to listen. If you're married, you know how that is. When you come home from a long day and they want to talk, <laughs> I, you don't want to. Or you got the little ones that are just learning to talk and they want to talk about everything. They have so many questions. It is a requirement in this rule of engagement when you want to do God's will. If you want to step out and do something bold for God, you have to ask, but you always have to listen. Peter asked and Jesus answered, if, if you ask God to give you direction, God's going to give you some direction. You just have to wait. And it was one word. Come. That was it. It wasn't any explanation. It wasn't like he said, hey, Peter, I'm going to explain to you how to walk on water. We're going to have some walk on water 101. You take your right foot, you place it on the water. When it feels a little firm, then you take your left foot, place it on the water. And then you're going to feel a little hesitant. None of that happened. There was no explanation. All it was is simply this. Peter made a move for God because he asked and God said, yes, come. And then after that, he took a bold step of faith. When you take bold steps for, uh, of faith, it's not always clear exactly how it's going to go down. You're not going to always have clarity exactly what step to take next. Jesus answered with one simple word, come. And it was answered exactly the way God wanted to be answered. There was no other explanation given. Jesus didn't explain to him anything outside of just come. The problem is we have a difficulty listening to when we do get the answer. Um, it's, it's easy to pray, but it's hard to obey. I pray and pray and pray. And then when I do get an answer, I sometimes want to back up and say, I just don't know if that's the right thing for me. I remember I had a couple of opportunities before we planted Thrive Church to take another church. And boy, it looked so good. 
And what I was doing, I was asking. I did exactly what Paul, what, excuse me, what Peter did. I said, God, what do you want me to do? I asked. And then I, I knew it was very clear that God wanted me to take a lead pastor position. It was clear. He said, go. This is what you need to do. Do it. But it didn't look quite right to me exactly what direction to go. He didn't give me any explanation. So as God started, well, what I thought was opening doors, I started taking the opportunity to look at this church in Alabama. And then there was another church up north. And boy, that was a tempting church. I had the pastor call me and he said, Dave, I know you're looking for support because you're thinking about planting a church. But I'd like to put you on the list, uh, the list a very short list, for you to take our church. I'm like, man, that sounds real good. Because it was a mega church and it was a huge church and it was a beautiful church and it had thousands of people in the church. And I said, at this time in my life, all I know is this is what God's called me to do. And I don't have it all figured out. But right now, God has called me to plant Thrive Church. You know what that is? That's using discernment, spiritually speaking. That's having to say, God, I'm asking you to give me some direction to take this bold step. And I'm not going to make a move unless you call me to make that move. And I want to listen. But in my listening, I had to obey. It wasn't about what I wanted. It wasn't about the numbers or the building. It was about God's will and God's purpose. I'm afraid we can get so caught up in those things that we don't really listen to the, the leading of God because we allow what looks good to attract us more than what is good. Most of us like talking more than we like to listen. I know that's tough, but when it comes to God, it's unacceptable. John 10, 27 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. We have a law firm. It's NCLL. We've had that law firm when we first developed uh, we Thrive. But we've had the law firm before that we've used with Fellowship Baptist Church, our sending church. And uh, the, uh, the attorney we have, David, David Gibbs Jr., has been an amazing friend to us for a number of years. And his dad is a great speaker, and David Gibbs Sr., and he told this story that I'll never forget. Honestly, I don't even know if it's true. It just sounds so crazy. I thought there's no way this is possibly uh, possible to ever happen. <laughs> and so, but I'll never forget it because it spoke so, so clearly to me as a preacher when it comes to listening to the voice of God. He said he was in Alaska and they were dealing with an, a, a lawsuit. And... Uh, they were to fly to Anchorage, Alaska, and then from there they were going to go home. And he said when, when they got to the airport, um, one of his friends that was with him, an acquaintance, another lawyer, uh, was excited about getting home, and they were talking things through about the flight and so forth, and then they ran into another pastor friend um, that was there, and uh, it was interesting because he said to them, why don't you save your ticket? I have my pilot's license. I flew here myself in my plane, this prop plane, and I can fly you. It's not a big deal. So Dave said, no, I don't think that's a good idea. I think we're just going to keep with what we got. And so he turned it down. After a few minutes, he talked him into flying in this little plane. So they went to where the plane was. They walked around the plane. David said, the plane looked great. It was a shiny plane. So I thought, man, it must be pretty good. It must be all right. So they got in the plane. It started up just fine. So he said, let's pray. 
Let's pray together. Because he said, I was just really hesitant about this. And then we prayed and we took off. He said, we were in the sky for a short period of time. And he said, within that short period of time, I started to feel okay. Until the pilot looked at me and says, it's really cloudy out. He said, Dave says, so? And he said, well, clouds are not good for me. He said, why are clouds not good for you? He said, because I tend to pass out when clouds are rushing towards me. I can't, I can't handle it. My brain doesn't process it. He says, it's been cloudy all day. I mean, you would have thought maybe we shouldn't do this if that affects you. He said, within that conversation, his eyes started to roll back in his head. He started to mumble and he passed out. He said, it was at that very moment I had to make a decision. Either I have to learn how to fly a plane or I'm going to crash and burn. So he looked over to his assistant, the other lawyer, and he said, you need to get on the radio and get us some help right now. So he got on the radio and began to say, hello, hello, and nobody was responding because he really didn't know what else to say. And finally, somebody responded. And within that short period of time, they connected him with the control tower in Anchorage, Alaska. The man on the other side of the radio said to him, he said, listen, we're here to help you. You're going to get through this. We're going to teach you exactly what you need to do. Since you're on a small plane, we can manage this. But you have to obey my voice. Everything I tell you to do, you need to do exactly the way I say it. And he says, okay. So he begins to learn what every instrument is on the dash, how to hold the steering column, and how to control the plane. Miraculously, things started to come together. And then the voice said this. He said, you must obey everything I say, especially now. Because I can see you, but you can't see me. And what I can see, what you're about to go through, is a storm. And if you don't listen to my voice and obey everything I say, then you will crash. So don't pay attention to the circumstances that are surrounding you. Because the storm will distract you, you will get fearful, and you will crash. So David gathered his thoughts, got control of the plane, and flew for an hour and a half, and miraculously landed the plane in the midst of the chaos. Now, that's a story that's just unbelievable. But this was my takeaway from that story. Listen to my voice and obey it or you will crash. Don't pay attention to the storm. Don't pay attention to the circumstances surrounding you. David said after he landed, about a day later, they were staying in a hotel. They had some circumstances to work through, obviously. And the man that was on the other side of the radio ended up going to his hotel to meet with him, to talk with him, because it was such a miraculous situation. He said to David, he said this, he said, not many people do what you did. Stay focused and not get caught up in the fear or the circumstances. You obeyed what I said. You listened to my voice. And that's the only reason you're alive today. I'm going to say this. Never step out unless God is calling you out. That means you have to ask. You have to listen. You say, God, what do you want me to do? What God tells you to do, you better obey. You better listen. If we do not obey the voice of God, then we'll miss out on the miraculous things God has in store for us. Do not pray and stop there. You need to take the next step and obey.
You say, well, how does God speak to me? It's not going to be an audible voice. If it's an audible voice, we need to talk because something's going on in your life that I'm not really sure is right, okay? Or some, you're just really special. But the reality is this. It's a still, small voice. It's a wonderful thing called the Holy Spirit that lives in all of us that are believers in Jesus Christ. Your spirit beareth witness with that spirit. That's how we know we're the children of God according to the Word of God. That still, small voice gives us peace and direction. It's not just your conscience. As believers, we have the Spirit of God that's a comforter. When Jesus left, He left the comforter when He ascended into heaven, which is the Holy Spirit. And He said, for each one of us, that comforter, comforter is to give you direction. Direction comes with peace, a peace that passes all understanding. So as a believer, there's something about that voice, that, that still small voice that gives us the comfort we need to know, this is okay. This is what I need to do. I've been praying about this, I've been fascinated about this, and I have clear direction from God, this is what I need to do. Because I am listening and obeying to what he's saying. After Peter heard the, the word come, he got out of the boat, and this is the part of the story where we go. So he, he asked, he listened, and then, then you always go. You always go. You don't want to make God wait. You hear what I'm saying? If you got clear-cut sign that this is right, you got the green light, then you make a move and you go. Uh, we're at, uh, how many of you remember when fast food used to be fast? You remember that? Before COVID? You used to go to fast food and got it really fast, and it used to be cheap. Fast food used to be cheap. It was really cool. Well, it's not that way anymore. You can tell I'm frustrated. Last night, I went to Wendy's because Ellie says, I want to go to Wendy's. I hate Wendy's. I just don't like Wendy's. I don't like McDonald's. I don't like Wendy's. I'll take Burger King and I'll take Chick-fil-A. So I go to Wendy's. I get in the line. There is one person in the drive-thru. And I watched them as they sat for nearly five minutes and nobody said anything to them. So I said, Ellie, let's just go in. I'm going to go in. I'll make your order. She goes, I just take going to fast food with you. You just get so stressed and frustrated. Because I do. Because I don't want to wait. So I go inside and I look at the little guy. And I said, listen, is this a fast food restaurant? And he said, yes. I said, good. I had a Thrive shirt on, so I was trying to play it cool. And I said, let's see how fast we can make this happen. Tell me, can I get my food in less than five minutes or is it going to take me 20? He goes, I don't know. So he turns to the guy that's cooking. And said, can it get in less than 20 minutes? What are we? And we're like, and he said, yeah, I think we can do that. Well, good. It's fast food. So he turns around, takes my order. In less than three minutes, the little guy turns around with his sandwich, gives it to me. And he said, see, less than three minutes. Oh, thanks, buddy. You know why? Because he didn't want me to wait. He could tell I was ready to do something I needed to do. And he wanted me to get out of there. I'm sure there was other reasons why. But. When it comes to God, I feel like we are willing to make him wait when he says to go. It would be like Peter saying, all right, I asked, I listened, you said go or come, and now I just don't know if I should step out of the boat. Say the other guys, the other 11 guys just said, get out of the boat. He just called you. Go. Go. Don't make him wait. Because they wanted to see some big things happen. If God has given you peace and direction, it doesn't matter if it's your relationship, it doesn't matter if it's your husband, your wife, if God is calling you to do it, you better go because you don't make God wait. Second rule of engagement, never lose focus in the midst of fear. But when he saw the winds boisterous, he was afraid. Being bold and courageous doesn't mean there's an absence of fear. Fear is part of our life. 
Courage is forward motion in the midst of fear. That's just the way it is. We're all born with this fear. We have faith, but we have fear. We will experience fear when we're trying to do some big things for God. Let me say this. Never lose focus in the midst of fear because if you do, you will be captivated by those circumstances and you will not finish what God has called you to do. What is it that you fear most? Whatever it is will seek your attention. Just like Peter had his attention focused on the winds and the waves. And I'm going to tell you, I don't blame him because I've seen hurricane after hurricane after hurricane. Because every time we go on vacation, whatever reason, there's a hurricane that goes to Florida with us. And I have been there and I've seen what it does. And it's terrifying. I'm not saying this was a hurricane. But all I know is this. If I was on that water, I would be scared too. But it's at that moment that you have to make a decision. Am I going to be captivated by this or I'm going to step out and trust Christ through it? You have to have a biblical perspective of fear. Do you realize fear is the absence of God? It's the absence of trusting Him. What does the Bible say when it comes to experiencing fear? This is what it says. What time I am afraid, I will trust in Thee. I, I, I'm going to trust God for what He said. You know, the thing about this passage of Scripture that's interesting is that Jesus called him to come out. God's not going to call you to do something if it's going to hurt you. It's there to help you. He's never going to put you in a situation if it was his will for you to be harmed through it. It is God that sustains us in the midst of fear, but we have to trust him. Romans 5, 8 says it this way in verse 15, For we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. A biblical perspective of fear is understanding that we as Christians have to trust God, but we were designed by God not to live in fear. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. We're not made to fear. We're made to be bold. So when you have a biblical perspective of fear, you no longer focus on it, in the midst of fear. So not only that, define fear for what it is, not what it could be. And listen to this. Fear is a possibility, not a certainty. Are you all with me? Yes, sir. It, there's nothing certain about the fear that you have. Peter determined his well-being according to the possibilities of his surroundings. Like, I could die. I could, I could possibly sink. And so all of these thoughts are going through his mind, all these possibilities because of his circumstances. And so it was at that moment that he began to sink. God is calling us to take bold steps to help us, not hurt us. And I'm going to tell you this, it's important. When we're taking bold steps for God, we're going to have what ifs. What if I fail? What if I'm not good enough? What if I can't follow through with this? What if, what if, what if? What if I buy this house, I go in debt, and I go bankrupt? What if I get married and we can't make it and we end up in divorce? What if this person isn't the right one for me? What if, what if? And I tell you, you need to flip the what ifs. What if I make this bold step for God and something amazing happens? What if I step out of this boat and I actually do walk on water? I'll be the only one in human history outside of Jesus that has ever done that. What if I join Thrive Church? What if we get a building? What if, what if, I'm tired of the what-ifs that are negative. I want to have faith 
that God is going to do some great marvelous things through my life and I don't want to fear over it. I have sat down numerous times and have thought, what if I step out of what I'm doing here at Fellowship Baptist Church, our sending church, and start a church and everything fails? I would have horrible dreams about showing up and it's just my family. Or we're not going to make it financially. What if? What if? But what if we put a dent in Dublin, Ohio, and see people come to Jesus Christ? What if we do things like magic camp and invite kids to the library and teach them some fun tricks, but at the same time give them the gospel? What if we go to a parade and give out brochures about Thrive Church and fun packets? I wonder if somebody's going to give their life to Jesus Christ. What if we join fellowship of Christian athletes, get in the schools and tell kids about Jesus Christ? What if? That's the what ifs I want to focus on. That's the what ifs when you step out of the boat, you start walking on water and you feel real good about it. See, you got to flip it. Define fear for what it is, not what it could be. Here's the last rule. Y'all ready? It's easy. Never stay down when you fall down. I'm going to get real personal here. In Matthew chapter 14, verse 30, he began to sink and he cried saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, where didst thou doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. There's a difference between stumbling and falling. I, I've stumbled in my Christian walk, and I have fallen. There's a difference, physically speaking, of stumbling and falling, where you catch your footing when you're about to fall, and you're looking around to see if anybody saw it. We were traveling on vacation, and I went to Arby's, and the kids were in, they were younger. Didn't stop them from laughing. So you know those ropes, you know, Instead of the stretch lines, they had the ropes at Arby's, the red velvet ropes. They had it all where you're going into the, uh, to check out. Well, there's a red velvet rope where you check out and order your food. And so I told Bri, I'm going to go out to the van real quick. And so I was going to step over the red velvet rope, right? Except I didn't realize it was kind of low to that point where my foot wasn't high enough, you know, and I tripped. I didn't just stumble, I fell. I'm talking about like old person fall, flat on my face, and everybody goes, oh my. And the worst part was this. I fell so hard <laughs> that I laid there for a minute thinking, what do I do now? I mean, get up, obviously. But for whatever reason, it was like, it was so shocking to me that I fell that I just laid there. To the point somebody walked up to me and said, sir, are you okay? Do you need some help? I'm not an old man. I can get up. I didn't break a hip. It's the most embarrassing thing ever. But here's the thing. At that moment, I thought to myself, how is this possible? <laughs> how did I just fall on my face in front of everybody? I feel like spiritually speaking, we do that. We think, yeah, I stumble once in a while, but falling? Nah. It ain't going to happen with me. I got it together. I do my devotions every day on you version. <laughs> every morning, click. I got it together. No, you don't. Because some of the greatest spiritual leaders in human history didn't have it together because they've stumbled and they've fallen. Peter would stumble at times when walking with Christ. When he said, I'll never deny you. Jesus said, yes, you will. That was a stumble because his arrogance. But his fall was when he actually denied Jesus and looked him square in the face when he did it. 
I'm going to tell you, don't ever get to the point that you don't think that it's possible for you to fall. Because pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. I looked up the word haughty in every possible way that you would think it could be translated. It's always going back to haughty. It's only this. Arrogance. Pride. Being puffed up with yourself and thinking you got it all figured out. Peter acknowledged his condition when he saw where he was. He was sinking according to verse 30. If you don't acknowledge your condition when you fall, you can't get up from it. Peter knew he was in a position that he could not recover on his own. And let me say this. Falling is not failing. Failing is only when you choose not to get back up. Failing is when you fall so bad that you start to sink and then you drown. Peter stopped himself from continuing to sink because he called out to the one he needed most. If you're going to take bold steps for a big God, then this is the reality. You have to get up when you fall because anybody that takes a bold step for God is going to fall. It's just a matter of when. And when you fall, you acknowledge the condition you're in and you, and you make a, a, a decision right then, I will not stay in this condition. Like when I was laying on the Arby's floor, I can't lay here forever. People are staring at me. I wanted to be like those little kids that cover their eyes up and that makes everybody disappear, but that wasn't going to happen. And when you do get up, things are not going to be the same. You say, I realize my condition and where I'm at. I can't stay this way. I got to make a change. And I can't do it on my own. And so that's what Peter does. He cries for salvation. It's the very next thing he did. He said, he cried and said, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him. So Peter acknowledges this condition he's in, but he cries for his salvation because he couldn't do it on his own. In order for him to get back up, he needed somebody better than himself and greater than himself. And it can't, can't always be a friend, can't always be a counselor. Because when you do bold things for God, you need to rely on God to help you when you stumble and fall. And so that's what Jesus reaches down at that moment. I remember <clears throat> Fellowship Baptist Church was waxing the basement. Oh my goodness, I'll never forget this. It was the worst thing ever for me. I waxed floors and I thought, you know what? I'm going to go downstairs and make sure these professionals are doing it the right way. I was over maintenance at that time. You remember this, Iris? I went to the basement. They had the floor covered with this, this um, chemical that loosens all of the wax, and it's so slick. So I had Chris Andrews with me, and I walked to the back of the basement where they were, and I walked in, and he said, hey, hey, I want to come in here, and I'm thinking to myself, don't you know who I am? I'm the executive pastor of Fellowship Baptist Church, and I have waxed floors all the way through high school and all the way through college. I don't need you to tell me not to walk in here because I'm going to approve of what you're doing or disapprove of it. All of these things are going through my mind as I begin to fall on my face, but not just on my face, on my head. And I go forward, and I go to catch myself. My hands slip. And I hit the floor, and it's a concrete floor. It hurt so bad that I was like, I can't lay here. I jumped right back up and I started to go down again and Chris caught me. I thought in that very moment, I'm okay. But I wasn't because I couldn't keep myself up. I just was going to repeat the exact same thing I just did. And Chris is holding my arm and he says, you need to get out of here or you're going to fall again. Let me help you. 
in my pride and arrogance, I said, I wanted to say, I'm okay. But I wasn't okay because I realized my condition. I acknowledged it at that very moment. And I needed the salvation that he's given me, even though it was Chris Andrews, the assistant pastor at Fellowship Baptist Church. And there they are staring at me like I'm crazy because my face is full of blood. I had a concussion. I had to get like eight stitches across my eyebrow. I was in pain because it felt like somebody took a baseball bat and smashed me in the face. All because I thought I knew exactly what I was doing when I took that step. You better be very careful when taking bold steps for God. Because if you forget the fact that you are just as human as everybody else, you will fall and you will not recover unless you realize your condition and your need for salvation. And that is reaching out to somebody and saying, hey, I need help. And the first person I go to is the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all our righteousness. I acknowledge my sin as Paul, uh, excuse me, as David said in Psalms 23 or 32. And he said it this way, my iniquities have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions, which means sin, unto the Lord. I cannot go through life and act as if I have it all figured out. I have to realize if I don't get help when I fall, I'm just going to keep on falling. It's getting up that matters. So here he is, and he recovers in verse four, uh, chapter 14, verse 32, and when he was, were come to the ship, the wind ceased. Everything stopped and everything came back to normal. I have fallen in my life, spiritually speaking, and I thought, I don't want to get back up. Because if I get back up, I'm just going to fall back down. And it hurts when I fall. If I would have fell for a second time in the basement... I would have probably cracked my head completely open and had more than a concussion. But I'm afraid what's happening with so many Christians is we take bold steps for God, we get so excited about what God's doing in our life, then we fall, and then we stay down. And we're like, I can't do this. Because if I try again, I'm going to look like an idiot. I just can't do this. But you do not fail unless you quit. Failing is stopping. You have to finish. If you took a bold step for God, just finish what you started. When he got back up, Jesus didn't carry him to the boat. He walked on water all the way back to the boat. And when he got back to the boat, the other 11 were looking at him in shock because they not only saw him step out and they're like, yeah, Peter, you're the man. You are doing this. I wish I was doing this. And then they saw him starting to sink. They're like, oh, Peter. Oh, Peter, you're going to die. And then Peter gets back up. And they're like, oh, yeah, Peter. You know why? Because I feel like our spiritual walk with Christ, when we take bold steps for him, are like this. Up and down, up and down. Because we stumble, we fall, but we get back up. Don't quit. Believe it or not, this body here is a weapon. I know you're shocked. But when I was in high school, yes, I took martial arts. I don't want to brag or anything. <laughs> but me and Pastor Tony, for, we were told by my mom, you could pick one sport and one sport only. And uh, we went to Walmart out of all places, and the whole parking lot on the end was all roped off. And these people, these, these gods and goddesses in these uniforms were doing martial arts, breaking bricks and boards. <laughs> and they had these blades called commas and using bow staffs and I'm like that's what I want to do mom 
that's what I'm going to do. And mom's like, okay, we'll sign you up. So we got signed up. So we did martial arts for five years, and I loved it. And then we're just before we graduated, we were going to get our black belts, and we were so excited. I mean, it, after all this time, we are finally here. And I remember our karate studio wasn't a commercialized karate studio. It was more like Cobra Kai. It was like, why, why are you all even open? Half of the things you do shouldn't even be allowed, you know? And uh, so we would go in, we would work out, and then you go to the basement. It looked like a dungeon. It looked like you would see Rocky working out. And that was the environment. And I remember when we were about to take our test, I was so terrified. I was just turned 18 years old. We show up, and there's a whole panel of black belts. It's just a table after table after table, and they're staring at you. You test for four hours, and you're soaking wet to sweat. You, did, you went through everything they asked you to do. And then they do the most redneck thing in Alabama. You're going to have to fight before you go. Five guys at one time. I'm 18 years old, and these guys stand up, surround us, me, one at a time. We had a fight. Tony was after me. He's just like, <laughs> and so there I am, and I'm thinking, I'm going to die. Because this is what they did. None of them did karate. Nobody did karate. They just threw me to the ground and just beat the fire out of me. Over and over again, just hitting me and hitting me. And you had three minutes to endure the fight. And this is what the, our instructor said. All you have to do is not quit. Just finish. It doesn't matter if it's just one finger moving. If you don't quit, you'll pass the test. And I'm thinking, I'm so tired. And I'm so hungry. And I just want to go home. I just want the piece of paper that says I'm a ninja. And so I fight these guys, and I'm thinking to myself, this is not right. And one of the guys had to weigh 300 pounds. He had not a muscle on his body. It was just lots of love, flubber. <laughs> and it was just, boom, knocked me to the ground, beating on me. And all I thought is this. If I quit, it's five years I've given. For what? I don't want to quit. And right toward the end of the three minutes, I remember our instructor would lean down and go, don't quit. Don't quit. It's almost over. Don't quit. I feel like in our walk with Christ, God is saying, just don't quit. You're going to take a bold step for God? Do it. But when you do it, remember, never step out unless God is calling you out. Ask, listen, go. And when you go, be ready. Because things are not going to get easy. They're going to get harder and harder. And through all of it, you're going to experience some things you never experienced before because God is going to do some miraculous things. Just finish what you started. And when you get back in the boat, remember this. The disciples said, never have we seen such a thing as this. Paraphrasing, they literally would say, I believe in you. And they weren't talking about Peter. You'd say, well, I thought they already believed in God. Or Jesus. They did. But this took them to a whole new level of their faith in Christ. And let me tell you the reason why. It wasn't just because Jesus walked on water. It was because one man took a bold step of faith to a big God. And he walked out. And when he did, the others trusted and believed in a way they never did before.